Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids, and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story right as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I am also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Will Gray about his novels. After today, you will have heard about storytelling as a teenager, starting with being a dungeon master, becoming your character, going from being signed to a publisher, to that same publisher teaching you how to do it yourself, promoting yourself, writing and publishing in dyslexia font, plotting an entire world worth of books, and writing the story you want to tell. Dalen Pax and the Heart of Stone, the Chronicle of Time. Last time Dalen was alone, but this time Becky, Ben, and the brothers Adam and Travis have come with him to seek out a way to save their friend David, who was attacked by a dagger containing a terrible curse. They seek out Dorn, a magical tavern keeper who is rumored to have created the world, in hopes that he may be able to show them the way. Once they arrive in Vinger City, they quickly learn that the city knows them well as saviors from the distant past. Dorn tells them the answers they seek are 2,000 years in the past, and if they're going to save their friend and fulfill their destinies, they will have to seek out the Pillar of Time. Along the way, they will have to help the Vingerian Queen in her quest for the Earthblade, and face ferocious goblins and a pair of oracle pixies. Most importantly, Dalen will have to decide if he's strong enough to cast aside great power, to stand as his true self to claim the Heart of Stone. Also with my, okay, I'm sure there's a term for it. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there is a term for it. Okay. It's um, movies that have it that I can just name are things like The Sixth Sense, uh, Fight Club, right? That you watch the movie once and at the last few minutes, they give you a new piece of information that changes the whole thing. And when you watch it the second time, it's a completely different story. Yeah, I, I don't know what that's called either, but I know what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure there's a term for that. I'm yeah. sure of it. I don't You're know what like, it is. You're like, oh, I have to go watch it again, like right now. <laughs> right. My series works this way. All right. If you, if you read book one all the way through, you can read book one again, and it's a different book. Mm. All right. Once you read book two, book one changes again. When you read book three, book one and two change. When you read book four, book one, two, three change. When you read book five, the whole series changes. <laughs> Every time, right? Through the first five books. And I built it that way on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so if you read book three first, you don't understand what's going. Because right. you need these revelations to understand who people are and why people are the way they are. Right. right? Without this information, you're like, oh, wait, he's dead? What? Wait, he's dead? Bush Phillips <laughs> is dead? You know, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So what and, is, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, I was going to ask. So we've talked about. So book one came out last October. Book two is yep. coming out this October. Um, yep. You're doing the signing in October as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you planning on just each October you're going to release a book? No, not okay. not even a little. Um, <laughs> right. The first book was to see if we could do it as a publisher. Mm-hmm. You know, book two was, okay, now can I do it without someone holding my hand every step of the way? Right. Can I remember most and, of the steps myself? Right. And also... We had to make enough money back to be able to do it again. Right. I mean, because, I mean, just buying a hundred books so you have books for signings is expensive. You got to buy a hundred bucks, you know, and yes, you get deals and so on and so forth, but you have to make that money back, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to, and I have to, I have to put in money to do the farmer's markets and the get and to buy a booth at a con. Or buy a booth at uh, a, a a book fair or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so we had to wait until we made enough money to do it again, right? You know, and that took a year. But then once you get two books, now you have two books out there selling to hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I well, think that's the general idea. To, <laughs> we now know how to market better. Mm-hmm. The first book had zero arc readers. All right, okay. I wrote the book, I put it out. All right. This one, we had time to have a couple people beta read it. All right. I um, have like 15 arc readers and so on and so forth. And we believe that we can put out book three in six months. Okay. All right. Our goal in the end is to be able to put them out once a quarter. So okay. once every three months. Okay. All right. That, that's our, that's, you know, goals for the business eventually. Right. Is to be able to put a book out every three months. Whether right that's now, yours or someone else's or just yours it, every three it's months. It's my goal, but it's my goal based off of listening to people who've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they are asked that question, the, uh, you know, we have put out uh, 350 books. You know, a hundred of them are mine, but I am a indie publisher who mm-hmm. has 300 books under their belt. And after doing it for this long and learning the success rate, if you're going to put out a series, you should be able to be and prepared to put out that series every three months, you know, type of information, you know, mm-hmm. I've, and overall, this is the echo that comes back at me. I put out the echo to, to the community, to anyone I can talk to. The echo I get back eventually is when we're up and running, and we got this. We're right. We are now. <laughs> I'm now not just an author, but I am also the CEO of this publishing company. That is that. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to try to hit a book every three months. You know, but not just mine. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I was thinking. I was like, man, for you. So, like, I know my husband who's dyslexic who's writing. Like, he writes very slow because he's dyslexic, and he goes back and he edits it all the time to make sure that he's. Like it makes sense. And so he's having, you know, his iPad read it back to him and like doing all of these things that are not things that I have to do because I'm not dyslexic. And so like it's a whole different process. So I'm like, I'm like thinking with like you being dyslexic, I'm like, how are you gonna ramp that up for your own books that fast? <laughs> well, the first answer is I have all seven books of my first series written. 
Well, that's... <laughs> but then for future books, eventually you run out of the pre-done books. <laughs> well, it takes me three weeks to... It takes me It takes me three months to, uh, to draft and edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I... But if I have them set up and lined, I can have this book being edited and prepared uh, for publication, while this book that I've now finished now can go to the editor, mm-hmm. and we'll just keep running them, right? You know, in, in, in like a like a construction line, um, an assembly line. Overall. Well, and his too, he keeps getting distracted and working on other books at the same time. He's not like writing in a line. Mm-hmm. He's writing like multiple books were like mine. I went from beginning to end <laughs> before I'm like, we're going to focus on this one and we're going to get it done. <laughs> I I wrote the first five books and I got down to basically I was writing two chapters a week. Um, done, you know, uh, and after five, my sister, who is my continuity editor, I basically, uh-huh. I read her the chapters because I do a lot of time travel. My book, my, there's a reason why my series is called The Chronicles of Time, all right? And I do a lot of time travel and time jumping and so on and so forth. So I need one uh-huh. person to make sure that I'm keeping it all straight. Right. And after I wrote five, she went, you might want to consider writing horror because this is the darkest, scariest stuff I've ever read. And... <laughs> I've actually had nightmares about book five. And so I went, neat. That was my goal. That's what I wanted you to feel. <laughs> I mean, I did. There's, originally, Dale Impacts and the Beads of Fire were, was, was going to be YA. And we've changed it. It's no longer YA. And the part of the reason why is what happens in five and six. Okay. Right? And, and it's not... I don't write Spice up until this point. Okay, so right. we're we're many books in at this point, <laughs> right? And I, it's not my it's it's just it, it wasn't what I was aiming at. There's mm-hmm. too many things going on. We don't have time for a love affair, you know, type thing. There, there. Uh, all right, and so I had two other characters that you know because you have Jalen Paxson and his posse, right? His posse it has a a love affair going on, all right, on the side, you know. Mm-hmm. But the only the closest thing to spite. The spice I ever put in was that they made love on the beach, and I just left it at that. And I moved on. And they worshipped each other as gods, and because it because it it wasn't the flavor that I was writing, right, right. But after, but I always try to invoke emotion. Mm-hmm. Right, it's one of my goals. All right, the the biggest compliment my wife gave me while she was editing is that she just after she was editing a part, she walked in and took my hand and made me wipe away her tears. All right. And then she went back to work. And, all right. She was just letting me know. Yeah. You, even though I'm editing. It worked. And it, worked. it worked. You got me. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but book five is supposed to be this dark piece. It's supposed to be this, the shadow of everything that you have seen up until now, everything that you know, by the way, there's a dark side to it. Mm-hmm. All right. And now you're going to see the horrificness of what could have been. Right. And so um, she was like, yeah, you should try writing horror. And so I took a break from book five and after book five, and I wrote a horror story. All right. And <laughs> I liked it. It was cool. It was a, it was a good palette changer, a good palette yeah. cleanser. 
Yeah. And then I was like, oh, yeah, okay, great. That worked right on. I think I'm going to move on and go back to book six. And, and it originally, <laughs> it was just going to be six books. But then, of course, I got through book six. And, for example, um, Rogue One from the Star Wars series. Mm-hmm. Everyone dies. It's like a Shakespearean play. At the end, all of the heroes you've come to love <laughs> die. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not specifically that, but I left everyone either cursed or dismantled or whatever, but they saved the world. <laughs> they saved the world. The world is saved. Taking- it's okay. <laughs> yeah. The whole world has been saved. Actually, not this world, just, just this world, but every world has been saved. <laughs> At the price of everyone you've come to love. Right. And my and my my continuity uh, writer, uh, editor was just flat out. If you do this, you're going to piss off your your people. They're not going. They don't want you to. Do not have us love all these characters and end it like this. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, ah, all right, I'll I'll write one more book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make the see. I remember the first series that I remember. Um, being weird like that so i was reading through akatar which if you've been on tiktok for any length of time you've heard about akatar and so i read through book one i read through book two i read through book three at the time i was in singing lessons to help with like vocal health with narrating and stuff like that and so me and my singing coach person um would talk about akatar just books in general, but Akatar specifically. And she'd be like, oh, where are you at? And so I tell her like, but I'm like, I just got to the big battle in book three. And how does it go on for two more books? And she's like, well, they tie up all the all the loose ends after the battle. And I'm like, so they're cleaning up. There's a whole book about cleaning up. <laughs> now that I've read it, I'm like, OK, it's OK. But <laughs> it is necessary sometimes to not leave everybody dead or cursed or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, so well, books, books one through five has to deal with present and the past. Mm-hmm. Book six and now seven deal with the future. Okay. Right. And basically in book six, they were cursed for 35 years for points being <laughs> instead of forever. But in 35 years, there's going to be people who come save you. Mm-hmm. All right. And then book seven is 35 years later. Okay. Right? And and you get a new cast of people who are coming to save the old cast. Right. All right. And they do. And then the camera switches back to the old cast and the new cast. Goes away. <laughs> goes away. For points being. Goes back to what they're doing. But it's 35 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm preset. I actually have something like 20 books set up and, and prepared to write for this world. Mm-hmm. All right. And so the next seven books at Book of Seven happens during six. Okay. All right. During Book Six, the entire seven book series happens in that time because basically it's, it's six books that are the backstory of of these six individuals and the seventh book is them coming together as a team mm-hmm. all right and then there's going to be a trilogy that has to deal with this girl going from 15 to 45 okay 
during which time these years are passing. Mm-hmm. And then the next series starts with the people from Seven coming back from Seven. Mm. And then the series continues on. Mm-hmm. All right. But it's 10 books down the road. Because, right. <laughs> but, but that's because I had to jump 35 years in the future for book seven to, to get this through. Right. All right. So I can end this. But the cool thing now is instead of a lot of this book has to do with surprises. It has to do with, oh my God, there's no way. Oh, what? What? And that's the reason why the books change from book to book to book to book, because you find these revelations. Mm-hmm. The next series is going to be, you already know what happens. You already saw it happen in book seven. You know what's going to take place. Mm-hmm. Now you get to watch it develop. You know, mm-hmm. I make one reference to um, these kind of clockwork spiders. Mm-hmm. Right during book seven, and then six books later, you get to meet a guy who's trying to figure out how to make clockwork spiders, and you're like, "Oh, that's the guy!" Right? <laughs> He's going to be. That's going to be the guy. That's going to be the guy eventually. And, and so it, it's a, it's the reverse effect, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm hoping will work well. We'll have to see. I'm very unorthodox. I'm very unorthodox. I I pissed off my editors so much in the beginning. I my my editor. I'm not my editor. My 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 um, narrator mm-hmm. is not the main character, and he's not a floating head that never shows up. He's a character who eventually shows up, like in chapter seven. <laughs> so he is telling the story of what they've all related to him. When they meet him. Right. Well, he was there. He knows the story. It's like he's telling you the story of something that happened 500 years ago, for points being, mm. you know, or 50 years ago. And so, But he's the one telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was there for part of it. Right. So this floating head narrator. Right. Halfway through the book starts using right, who's all past tense, all past tense. And then when we get to this one scene that he's in, that character who also happens to be the narrator is saying things as I and using present tense. Mm-hmm. But it's just the narrator quoting this character who happens to be him. Mm-hmm. But having a floating head narrator start using the phrase I for anything is weird. <laughs> Is weird. I actually yeah. had to write something called Chapter Zero, which is basically the prologue, which is, hi, I'm the narrator. My name is Will Gray. I'm going to be showing up in the story later. Here we go. You know, type of thing. <laughs> yeah. just, so you can, just so you can expect it. Mm-hmm. I have characters break what I call the fifth wall, not the fourth. They don't turn and talk to the reader. They turn and talk to the narrator. There's Because my, my book involves Jen. Genies. Okay. All right. A, a gen is okay. A genie is an enslaved gen. They they're trapped. They have the bracelets on. They're, they they mm-hmm. can't make wishes for themselves. Mm-hmm. A gen is what they originally were. All okay. right. Before they were enslaved, and we deal with those guys, so they can say no to your wishes. <laughs> All right. I wish this. No. 
But also, I used the original concept that was originally in uh, the the Muslim religion because, like, like angels or cherubim or seraphim or Mm -hmm. cherubs. These are religious concepts, but people write them in books all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, I wanted to go back to the original concept of these things. And um, it it is so you ain't never had a friend like me. Not. (laughs) It's not that at all, right? They are considered neutral demons or neutral angels. They're mm-hmm. if you put a sliding scale where on one side is of is positive, that's an angel, and you sliding scale and it's negative, that's a demon. And these things are what's known as divine beings. Negative are called demons. Positive are called angels. Jinn are the thing exactly in the center. So they. You make a wish and they agree to it. They often possess you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then enact the wish because mm-hmm. they don't have a body. They have to use you to make mm. the wish happen. Makes sense. Right. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's good. Let's play with that. Well, anyway, these powerful <laughs> creatures <coughs> excuse me, are so powerful, they're aware of the narrator guy. And so from time to time, they'll just talk to them. They'll just, hey, why don't we do this from now on? And then go back to what they're doing. <laughs> and they're, uh, oh, my editors hated me. <laughs> well, I'm but sure because most people, like, you're not supposed to because it's not marketable switch between, like, the tenses that you're using or whatever. So, like, yeah, I can imagine them being like, now, I have seen if there's a very, very good reason for it, do and it. And there is. If and there's there not a very good reason for or I should say in personal preference, because I have read books that were done that were not done well. Um, if you can do it well and there's a reason for it, <laughs> then do it. If you, well, it is. And if, there is if one of those reason. If you can't do it well and it doesn't make any sense, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Right. Uh, overall, um, but I'm I'm probably cutting off my own foot here, and I know this, mm-hmm. right? Because it goes against the very first rule I ever learned, which was about art and marketable products. Um, I, if you go by all of the hubbub that's going on in book talk these days, mm-hmm. I'm a terrible. I use dialogue tags other than said. Oh, that All is right. a, that guy. He okay, no, only. No, okay. Oh my god! The that guy drives me crazy. I did on the last edit I did on book one. The very last thing that we did is we sat down and either erased or changed two hundred and forty-five uses of the word "said." Oh gosh! To sneer or um, interjected or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. That was the last edit. We were, my editor was like, no, you have you can't use said all the time. Yeah. That was what I was told. And now now it's like, oh, you're only supposed to use that. Yeah. I'm like, that's not what I learned at all. <laughs> I was in trouble for that. Yeah, right? there's there's a whole thing though about not like one of my beta readers, okay. Uh my book is based at Christmas time. So she is helping her parents set up the house with Christmas decorations and so one of my beta readers started making a joke about we're going to make drinking games with these repetitive uses of these words so decorations got reused a bunch in a very short 
time. And then there was Snowflake and just Flake by itself. She's like, we're going to make another drinking game for that. And then at another time, there was Benefactress got used like a million times. And she's like, you need to include in your PR box a little shot glass with a little thing of like whiskey or something for the drinking games. And I'm like, you guys all commented that I used the words too much, so I have now fixed it. My, but my word, we're not supposed to have repetitive words. <laughs> my word was power at one point. Uh, yeah, power I can see powerful. that. Yeah, because this guy had a power, and this power allowed allowed him to be powerful. Yeah, but if he gave up that power, would he be powerful enough to be able to do what was next? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last question I'm going to ask, what was the best piece of writing advice you've ever gotten and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? The, ooh, ooh. Answer in whichever order you want, but best and worst. (laughs) I I think the, I think the worst one was, was the said thing. Um, (laughs) Um, Anytime the worst one, the worst piece of information uh, of advice that I've been given has to do with a conglomeration, it's a concept. And I've mm-hmm. been told it numerous times in numerous ways. Okay. That the answer is that the goal is to write like everyone else. You need to have this particular percentage of adverbs. You need to only use this. You need to only put it this way. It has to be done like this so we can crank out another piece of petrified plastic cheese the way that everyone else does it because that's what tr- that's what the big companies want. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make it like everyone else the way that they want it, it was mm-hmm. probably the worst inf- advice I've been given up until now. All right. Yes. You, I mean, you have to have it be grammatically correct. You have to spell words correctly. And you, I mean, there are things that you need to do, mm-hmm. but to change everything about what you're doing so that you can make it like everybody else. How boring would books be if everybody wrote off the same template? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I always think with all of these, you have to do this and you have to do that. Every time I see any TikTok or anything come across that says you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way, I'm like, you do realize that it would be very boring if we all used the same template for our books. You have to have this at 20% and this at 30% and this at 40% and this at 50%. I'm like, if every book was written the same way, It would be boring because you know what? Some people like me, I will read pretty much anything that you put in front of me as long as I am in the mood for that genre right now. I will read it. I will probably enjoy it. And I will also forget what I read a day later. And then I can read it again if I so choose. Um, But you know what? I've read, read a wide range of things that were definitely not written like each other. Might there be a reason that I prefer some books over others? Yeah. Am I going to dissect it down to the percentage that the main plot points happened? No. <laughs> yeah, right. I, and I'm not going to write editor. that way. It sounds like that would yeah, be incredibly I had one limiting. I was demanding it and I had to get, I had to move, I had to switch editors. Yeah, no. 
Yeah, they were telling me to the percentage. You are 14% over. It's like, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, no. <laughs> the best advice, though, was that this story was entrusted to you. Mm-hmm. And you are the only one who has the authority to say what it is. Mm-hmm. That's the best advice I've ever given. So yours are almost the exact opposites of each other, right? Based yeah. off of a formula or you write the story that was given to you. Right. It's almost now, the exact I'm, opposites of each other. Right. And I'm willing to change stuff. The original... The original version of Dalen Pax and the Beads of Fire, they were 13 years old. It was a coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. right? But as we moved along further and we saw what was going to be happening to these kids, I went, okay, we can't do this to children. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so I moved it to 17, 18 years old, the next phase of coming in a- of age. But mm-hmm. you're now more of an adult. Right. All right. Originally, the characters were very whitewashed. All right. And it wasn't because... I, that was my goal. It had to do with these were actually based off of childhood friends mm-hmm. who just happened to be worked out that they were, yeah. you know? And so on my third review of book one, I started changing nationalities a little mm-hmm. bit here and there. I was so hyper-focused on what I was doing with the gen, which is they don't have a gender at all. Okay. That's because they're a non-corporeal being. They don't have a body. Right. And so, and so they don't have a gender. And in the end, the only gender that they have is how you perceive them. Mm-hmm. How you pick, you know, your mind has to draw in something. Right. So whatever <laughs> picture it draws in, they're that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I was so focused on connecting into this platform, this, this idea that I forgot to pay attention to some of the background characters and so on and so forth. And so um, on my, after I, I wrote it and it was terrible and then I was just writing it for grammar and spelling. And then third time when I was actually looking at the characters, really mm-hmm. looking at them, I started changing them and fixing them up. And now, I mean, some of the strongest characters in my story are female. All right. They, mm-hmm. the, the, the gen itself looks like a female. And, and, then, and then at one point turns to the narrator and says, why don't we just run with this and go with she? All right. And then from then on, the narrator refers to her as such. Mm-hmm. But, but until then, it's an it. I, the narrator refers to the gen as an it or mm-hmm. the fire gen until she declares that she's a girl. Mm-hmm. And then I write her as her. All right, which is an ongoing theme about the recognition of that the narrator always refers to you of how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. And so there's characters that switch names, even switch mannerisms and how they're written as the story goes because they, they're perceiving themselves different. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also, I really wanted strong females. I wanted strong storyline. I wanted strong uh, characters who were of multinational. You know, so um, I started resetting that as I was going through my my second edit to lay out who these characters were. Mm. And so 
and it just so happened, it worked out that actually some of the most powerful characters in my entire world are female. And it just, it, it's how it goes. That's who they are. But that's who they are. That's I, I didn't do mm-hmm. it so I could get the women's vote. It's that's <laughs> who the character is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm the smartest girl on the, on the on the team. I mean, the smartest person on the team is a girl. All right. But that's because the two brothers, one of them is about tactics. The other one is about adventure. You know, he's he's the one that goes, oh, these are the moments we live for. And, you know, and then we have the. <laughs> And then we have the other one who's writing in a book. Wait, wait, how do you spell that? You know, type of thing. And then we, and then there's the kind of the jock bully that joins the team. And then the girl who's, who is the intelligent one, the, the empathic one, the, the one who goes, wait a minute, you said something there. You know, it's just, that was her part in that story. It, so it just turns out that she's the, she's the most smartest. She's the smartest of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the city, the, the, the Avenger city, is a sentient being. The, the walls is, are its bones. It's it, mm-hmm. it's a living thing. But when it manifests into a person so it can talk to you, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. But that has to do with how it connects to the main to some of the other characters. And she's actually the wife of another character that's important. And and it just it it works out that way. I didn't aim towards it. Mm-hmm. What I aimed towards that is it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I have I have LBGTQ community in it. I have there's 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 references to it. I just don't spotlight it. I don't mm-hmm. go, hey, look, do you see? Do you see? Do you see the thing? See what I did there? Do you see it? You see yeah. It? Yeah. It's just it's a part of the world. It's a normal everyday thing and sh- and doesn't need to be brought up. Right. I mean I I talk about it. Hey, look, you know, these when the two people that walked out of the movie theater and their hands brushed and they kind of looked at each other for a moment were two guys. All right. But that's the only time that they're mentioned. It goes on. And I never mentioned how odd it is that they're both guys. All right. Or nothing. I just have it be a part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I do it also with gender. All right. Powerful people don't have to be female or they don't have to be male. Right. It just it just so happens that this particular character is powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and because that's one of the things that I wanted to add to my story to if I'm going to lay out a story, if this story is entrusted to me. The thing that I wanted to put out is that things like age, race, uh, your your preferences and all that have nothing to do with who you are. Mm hmm. Who you are has to do with who you are, the choices you make, the actions you choose, the things you don't choose, the thing the things you choose to say, the actions you choose to do. This makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. And that is an actual theme of the entire of the entire series. Mm-hmm. I just never shine a spotlight on it and go, you see it. It's one of those things I hope you find. There's so much in this book that I hope you find. Mm-hmm. But I never pointed out because like a magician, you don't go, hey, I'm about to do a magic trick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to squirt you with my flower now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's so much better to just, you know, talk about talk about this item. All right. And then just have it be gone. 
and continue on with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. All right. And have them go, wait, wait, what happened? What did so- you did something there? You know, and it, it pushes past the conscious level thought and allows it to sink into the subconscious. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. That's a lot of my goal for my writing is I put things out directly in front of you and go, you're not going to see this. Not until book three. Mm-hmm. And when book three happens, you're going to go oh, and go back to book one and go, no, oh, oh my God, it is. that way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your Saturday. <laughs> bye. You too. Thank you so much. Say hi to Alex. I will. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. As Will got older, he liked comic books. He compared them to the Hercules and Perseus of today. Today we'll be reading How Perseus Avenged Danae. In Greek mythology, Perseus is the legendary founder of the Persid dynasty. He was, alongside Cadmus and Bellerophon, the greatest Greek hero and slayer of monsters before the days of Hercules. He beheaded the Gorgon Medusa for Polydectes and saved Andromeda from the sea monster Cetus. He was the son of Zeus and the mortal Danae, as well as the half-brother and great-grandfather of Hercules. As they were both children of Zeus, and Hercules' mother was descended from Perseus. Don't forget we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the Round Table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. We're going to start out this story with an apology about any pronunciations, because these names are all really hard. How Perseus Avenged Danae With a steady south wind behind them, they sailed to Seriphos, and landed and brought their wealth ashore and went to the house of Dictys. They found him lonely and sorrowful, for his wife had died, and his brother King Polydectes had taken Danae, and set her to grind corn in his house among his slave women. When Perseus heard that word, he asked, Where is King Polydectes? It is his birthday, and he holds his feast among the princes, said Dictys. Then bring me, said Perseus, the worst of old clothes that any servant of your house can borrow from a beggar man, if there be a beggar man in the town. Such a man there was. He came limping through the door of the courtyard and up to the threshold of the house, where he sat whining and asking for alms. I gave him food and wine, and Perseus cried, New clothes for old father I will give you, and new shoes for old. The beggar could not believe his ears, but he was taken to the baths and washed, and new clothes were given to him, while Perseus clad himself in the beggar's rags. Dictus took charge of the winged shoon of Hermes, and the sword Herpy, and the burnished shield of Athene. Then Perseus cast dust and wood ashes on his hair, till it looked foul and gray, and placed the goatskin covering and the gorgon's head in his wallet. And with the beggar's staff in his hand, he limped to the palace of Polydectes. On the threshold he sat down like a beggar, and Polydectes saw him and cried to his servants, "'Bring in that man!' Is it not the day of my feast? Surely all are welcome. Perseus was let in, looking humbly at the ground, and was brought before the king. What news, thou beggar man? said the king. Such news as was to be looked for, whined Perseus. Behold, I am he who brought no present to the king's feast. Seven long years agone, and now I come back, tired and hungry to ask his grace. 
By the splendor of Zeus, cried Polydectes, it is none but the beggar brat who bragged that he would fetch me such a treasure as lies in no king's chamber. The beggar brat is a beggar man. How time and travel have tamed him. Oh, one of you run and fetch his mother who's grinding at the mill that she may welcome her son. A servant ran from the hall, and the chiefs of Seriphos mocked at Perseus. This is he who called us farmers and dealers in slaves. Verily, he would not fetch the price of an old cow in the slave market. Then they threw at him crusts of bread and bones of swine, but he stood silent. Then Danae was led in, clad in vile raiment, but looking like a queen, and the king cried, Go forward, woman. Look at that beggar man. Dost thou know thy son? She walked on. Her head high, and Perseus whispered, Mother, stand thou beside me, and speak no word. My mother knows me not, or despises me, said Perseus. Yet poor as I am, I do not come empty-handed. In my wallet is a gift brought from very far away from my lord the king. He swung his wallet round in front of him. He took off the covering of goatskin, and he held the gorgon's head on high, by the hair facing the king and the chiefs. In one moment, they were all gray stones, all along the hall, and the chairs whereon they sat crashed under the weight of them, and they rolled on the hard clay floor. Perseus wrapped the head in the goatskin and shut it in the wallet carefully and cried, Mother, look round and see thy son in thine own revenge. Then Danae knew her son, by the sound of his voice, if not by her eyesight, and she wept for joy. So they too went to the house of Dictes, and Perseus was cleansed and clad in rich raiment. And Danae too was apparelled like a free woman and embraced Andromeda with great joy. Perseus made the good Dictes king of Seriphos, and he placed the winged shoes in the temple of Hermes with the sword Herpy and the gorgon's head in its goatskin cover. But the polished shield he laid on the altar in the temple of Athene. Then he bade all who served in the temples come forth, both young and old, and he locked the doors, and he and Dictes watched all night with the armed Cretans, the crew of his ship, that none might enter. Next day, Perseus alone went into the temple of Athene. It was as it had been, but the gorgon's head and the polished shield were gone, and the winged shoon and the sword Herpy had vanished from the temple of Hermes. With Danae and Andromeda, Perseus sailed to Greece where he learned that the sons of King Proteus had driven King Acrisius out of Argos, and that he had fled to Bithia in the north, where the ancestor of the great Achilles was king. Thither Perseus went to see its grandfather, and he found the young men holding games and sports in front of the palace. Perseus thought that his grandfather might love him better if he showed his strength in the games, which were open to strangers. So he entered and won the race, and the prize for leaping— and then came the throwing of the disc of bronze. Perseus threw a great cast far beyond the rest. But the disc swerved and fell among the crowd. Then Perseus was afraid and ran like the wind to the place where the disc fell. There lay an old man, smitten sorely by the disc, and men said that he had killed King Acrisius. Thus the word of the prophetess and the will of fate were fulfilled. Perseus went weeping to the king of Pythia and told him all the truth, and the king who knew, as all Greece knew, how Acrisius had tried to drown his daughter and her child, believed the tale, and said that Perseus was guiltless. He and Danae and Andromeda dwelt for a year in Pythia with the king, 
And then Perseus, with an army of Pelasgians and Myrmidians, marched south to Argos and took the city and drove out his cousins, the sons of Proteus. There in Argos, Perseus, with his mother and beautiful Andromeda, dwelt long and happily, and he left the kingdom to his son when he died. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for T.L. Combs' journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.